The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Yes, this is the place where you can find an honest discussion on reform, an honest approach to what Islamic reform should look like. No watered-down version, no false narratives, just an American Muslim patriot who believes it's the role of American Muslims to lead reform, to engage those front lines of ideas, and find the areas where we can make a difference and leave a legacy of true reform. It's not about reforming uh, or repackaging a background that's false, but actually about telling the truth. So if you're looking for the truth, if you're looking for humility and approach to a global religion that we're probably only making a dent in, but yet I think a dent that might begin that ripple of change, this is the place to find it. Thanks for joining me. If you've heard before, if you're new, strap your seatbelt on. We're in for a conversation. Now, I talked last week about Jamal Khashoggi. If you haven't heard about the story, I'll fill you in in a second, but uh, you must have. Uh, the, The Washington Beltway is just a fire with an obsession on churning over and over about the story. So is New York, so is the legacy media, and the process of canonization, the process of glorification of this individual has begun. Now listen, I've been the first, even if any, if any of you followed me, if you've looked at my work online and written Uh, In columns, in papers, in blogs, Twitter, social media, you will know that I honestly am probably one of the most critical American Muslims of the Saudi regime, of their central role that Wahhabism has played in working with the Muslim Brotherhood globally up until nine or ten months ago. And the central role they have played in developing Petro-Islam globally. So please spare me the lectures about the need to be critical of the Saudis. And now all of a sudden, the legacy media has had an epiphany. They are now all of a sudden the strongest anti-Saudi movement known. And this is a continuation, naturally, of the pro-Homanist, bizarre approach to the terror state of Iran that the Obama administration had. And, you know, you don't need to argue with me about that. You can look at the pallets of cash that were sent to Tehran, the nuclear deal that was an abomination, the the uh, hundreds of billions of their money that had, I think, should have been given to families, victims of Hezbollah, of Assad, and others, was given back to Iran. And the thugs, the tyrants of the theocrats of Iran. So now we're seeing a continuation of that, which is the the the, the battle between the Sunni tyrannies and the Shia tyranny of the Khomeinists now has become part of the Washington culture with the left taking the side of the Shia and with the conservatives taking the side of the Sunni. Now, I don't want to say conservatives because that was the 20th century paradigm and 
I think Trump is restabilizing the Middle East to the stability. And I say stability, I've always told you that I don't believe the lack of kinetic war is stability. I think that you got to the Arab awakening, you got to the need, you got to the ra- radicalization and the vacuums that the Islamists filled in the Middle East because of the dictatorship. So the pathway away from radicalization is going to be away from these tyrannies. But all of this now is coming to head because the Saudis apparently, now we don't have definitive evidence, we're still trying to get more clarity. Most of the evidence so far is coming from the Turkish government, which is hardly a reliable source when it comes to journalists. They've, they've imprisoned hundreds and tortured other hundreds and, and uh, are, are searching for uh, hundreds more and uh, not to mention the tens of thousands of professors that have been jailed. I mean, this is not a country that has any credibility when it comes to journalists. But the evidence is pretty clear. Khashoggi has disappeared. The last place he was seen was going into the Saudi embassy in Istanbul. And two hours later, he was declared missing and apparently killed. And the Saudis have not denied this significantly and in effect have basically admitted to the point that the narrative now is that it was an interrogation gone bad. Now, this is not an American citizen. It's an American resident who had a green card. Now, how he got a green card, I think, is another question. Um, It is a former operative with the Saudi tyranny. It is somebody who was close to the head of the Saudi intelligence. The Khashoggi family are well known. Adnan Khashoggi was the wealthiest man on the planet in the 80s, had been connected to a number of uh, uh, large flamboyant parties and Western functions and and if you look at the family tree, you'll also see in there Princess Diana and Dodi Fayed and, and uh, other connections that I won't bore you with. But suffice it to say that this is not from the lower classes of Saudi Arabia and the, as the royal family would call them, the peasants of the citizens, but rather Khashoggi is one of the princes. He's one of the princes' families. His uncle was Adnan Khashoggi who I believe ended up buying President Trump's yacht, or Trump bought his yacht. I don't know what the story was, but the bottom line is is that this is not a non-player in the global world. Now, the narrative of Khashoggi we can talk about. This is a guy who was sympathetic and had been a friend of bin Laden. Was he sympathetic to 9-11? No, there's no evidence of that. But he was very sympathetic and had been a member of the Brotherhood. He was very sympathetic until the last few years also to Hamas and anti-Israel and made statements about Israel that would be considered deeply anti-Semitic. He had basically uh, uh, called the Jews usurpers. And look at his Arabic writings to know what they are. And again, this is relevant, and we're going to talk about this in the rest of the podcast today. But it's relevant because as we get the facts of the story, this is the United States of America. We have free speech. We don't lionize everybody who dies just because they're an activist, just because they, they, they claim there's a claim that he's a reporter or a journalist. I'm not sure I agree with that. He's more of an activist than a columnist. But bottom line is he was somebody who was exercising free speech and criticizing governments. Now, in no way whatsoever does that excuse any abuse of him. 
much less murder and assassination. And certainly the United States should punish the Saudis. Certainly the United States should make an example of what happens when allies that we are close to, who we're building a counterterrorism center with, who we are engaging as our central linchpin in the war and the balancing act against the threat of Iran, against the threat of ISIS, against the radicalization of Sunni militants that the Saudis claim now to begin to dismantle the Muslim Brotherhood network that they were fighting. And sure enough, I believe, it seems apparent that Khashoggi was part of that Muslim Brotherhood network that was being dismantled. But the method of dismantling that the Saudis used deserves deserves sanction, deserves to be made an example of, because A, it doesn't work, B, it's inhuman, and it violates Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and it makes these Islamists into martyrs. But what's bizarre to me is that the reality of what was Jamal Khashoggi's history, his writings, and what his ideas are, are being distorted into making him a a icon of Arab democracy who is fighting against the royal family and fighting for freedom. And in fact, the Washington Post this week just published his last op-ed, the one he submitted, they said, before October 2nd, and then he disappeared, and now they published it through his translator who provided it. Now, I have no hard evidence, as they've not produced any hard evidence either, that he actually wrote that. Now, did he write it? It seems to be within a lot of what he may write, though the general ideas, I would tell you, don't fit the sentiments. I asked on Twitter and social media, somebody please show me those sentiments, and we'll talk about that later. But what's important to me is that the hypocrisy of the left So many freedom fighters, dissidents, real believers in American values, real believers in Western democracy, supporters of America, supporters of our Constitution, supporters of religious freedom and the separation of mosque and state, supporters of Israel, supporters of Western interests, are in prisons in Saudi Arabia, are in prisons in Egypt, are in prisons in Turkey, and the left and the legacy media said nothing. They say nothing. A few lines here or there. You saw a conflagration with the with the foreign minister of Canada a few a month or so ago, and I talked about it on this program because they pushed the Saudis about releasing Rafe Bedoui, about their torture of him, and how much he is a respectable dissident who is simply expressing his discontent with the regime and his position of free speech against the theocracy of the interpretation of Islam of that kingdom. He should be released. Was there outrage? Was he on the front page every day? No, and he probably will not survive his sentence. He's been quite ill. And he should have been released years ago, as I called for and others called for that were on the commission, um, U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. But no, there's something different about the Khashoggi affair. Thousands have been tortured by the Saudis. The left didn't seem to care. Now they do. What's going on? When we come back, we'll continue talking about what next? Who was Khashoggi and why is that important? And I also want to talk to you about if you think it's unfair that I'm critical of the ideas of an Islamist that was martyred by the Saudis, 
What would happen if I disappeared? We'll be right back. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Now, before we jump back into Khashoggi, what should the United States do to Saudi Arabia for assassinating an American resident, a journalist, and a free speech advocate in Turkey? If it turns out, as it really apparently is quite apparent, and even it appears they've admitted they did. They should be punished. They should be made an example of. And there are some measured sanctions that can be done. Stop the arms deal? I don't think so. The arms deal is not about dissidents and not about all the litany of things we've complained about human rights with the Saudis for decades. No, the arms deal is about rebalancing an imbalance in the Middle East that would prevent a war with Iran. Pakistan is a is a you-know-what of human rights with Sharia, with blasphemy laws, etc., and they still have nuclear arms because we believe it balances them against a war against India. Is that right? I don't know. I didn't make the decision to give them nuclear weapons and wasn't around when it happened. But at the end of the day, it has remained in balance. I don't even believe in any Islamic republics. I don't even know why Pakistan was created. That is a different program. But the balancing is important. So I would not put the arms deal on the table, not because I've ever been in favor of major arms deals to the Saudis that empowers radical governments like the Sharia Wahhabi state of the Saudis. But at this point, this is the hand we were dealt by the Obamas, by the Bushes, by the Clintons, and everyone before them in circa 20th century Middle East politics. And we're stuck with it right now. So it needs to be rebalanced. But there are things we can do. I think, number one, you start with saying, well, you guys took the life of Khashoggi. Give Rafe Bedoui life. Give his attorney, Walid Abu Khair. Give him life. Release 10 prisoners of conscience that you have placed in order to show that you mean business and want to come to amends with what you've done to human beings. Release them. And not Islamists. Release secular liberal reformers or those who've left Islam. I believe Rafe Bedoui may have left Islam. I'm Bottom line is that it doesn't matter. He was fighting for freedom. He was fighting for a free Saudi, was the name of his organization, and was flogged. Was planned to be flogged for 10 Fridays in a row, and after the second one, they said he was too sick and too harmed to continue. So, release some prisoners of conscience. Second, why don't we stop buying Saudi oil for a while? Hit them in the, in the pocketbook for a few months until they measure and show some methods of transparency that they are truly going to reform. Third, demand that they create platforms in which they are lifting up not just actions of letting women drive, etc. Imams and clerics that are non-Wahhabi, that are modernist, that are truly about separation of mosque and state. Those may exist. You'd be, be surprised in Saudi Arabia. So, there are methods, there are measures that we can do with the Saudis. And third, any cooperation that we are doing in the front in Yemen should end. They're killing civilians, innocents there. Nobody seemed to care yet. And now an Islamist journalist is killed and they do. Well, good. Let's stop it. Stop the, the, the attacks. Some have called it a genocide in, in, in Yemen. 
that is being done by both sides, with the Houthis being funded by the Khomeinists and the Saudis doing air raids over civilian neighborhoods that are dominated by Shia, that are in the Shia communities. That needs to end, and especially U.S. jets and U.S. support of that should have never started in the first place. It's a very, very uh, obvious thing that we should do. Now, let's talk about this Jamal Khashoggi. Listen, the lionization. Who is Jamal Khashoggi? Why does it matter? It matters because, you know what? When the media gets mobilized now, all of a sudden, we are talking about this day and night. CNN had the temerity to read. And I say temerity, the op-ed actually was pretty good. If it was written by a secular Democrat, it would have been good. I just don't believe that a guy who had the, the writings that, that said that, he said that the 9-11 was 24-7 for the Palestinians. That's what he described when talking about Israel. 9-11 was the 24-7 for Palestinians. That's what Jamal Khashoggi said. And now you have the Washington Post writing an a, a unsigned editorial of their editorial board saying that conservatives who are critical are either part of the Saudi lobby or they're despicable. I mean, this is absurd. This is absurd. Every day, you've got troves of people being massacred in Syria on both sides. And we've been fighting, fighting for every word to express who the good folks are, who the bad folks are. Some after they've died, we discussed, were they in part of a good movement? Were they part of an Islamist, a jihadist, an Al-Qaeda, an ISIS? What movement were they part of? We have conversations about this. But now, because this guy wrote a few columns and they, they attached him to the Washington Post, he becomes somebody we can't analyze what his writings are? And I'm sorry, the column that was read out loud for five, six minutes on CNN talked about his dreams, Jamal Khashoggi's dreams of a radio-free Arabia. Where did I hear that before? I've been saying that since 2004, ladies and gentlemen. I've been calling for Al-Hurra and others to become on steroids to begin to change these regimes. And now all of a sudden, and it's not just about me, Reformers have, secular liberals who have programs, who have websites and Facebook pages and others that were part of the Arab awakening were part of this movement, calling for similar things. The Obama administration laughed at them and ended up sending billions to the Iranians. The Bush administration stood on, on defending old allies instead of helping to change grassroots movements and help those movements move up from a popular perspective rather than restabilizing. And as Condoleezza Rice said, for too long we have exchanged stability for security and gotten neither. She was right in 2005 in Cairo. But they never saw the Arab awakening coming. And while it came after the Obama administration started, Obama missed that opportunity to allow the Iranian tyranny to grow. So, I'm sorry if I refuse to believe that all of a sudden the legacy media here in the United States understands what secular democracy is about in the Middle East and who the good guys and who the Islamists are. Yes, in Syria there were communists fighting against Assad that were fighting a good fight against an enemy and an evil dictator. 
but that doesn't mean that I would lionize and canonize a communist if he had been tortured or killed. I may say that that was inhuman, violated human rights, the sanctity of humanity. I disagreed with that person, but just as Voltaire said or whoever said the quote, I may disagree with somebody, but I would die to protect the right to say it. Khashoggi did not deserve to die, did not deserve to be tortured by the Saudi tyranny. And in fact, my message to them is folks like Khashoggi, when you kill them, when you torture them, they become martyrs and it fuels the Brotherhood Islamist movement. But Khashoggi represented not only the Islamists, he represented the Turkish Qatari threat, which we've talked about here, the, the Islamist power structure that's moving against the old guard, sort of like the two mafia families fighting. He represented the estranged princes from the Khashoggi bin Laden side of the billionaires and now the Walid bin Talal, right? I'll remind you. Remember, the princes, hundreds that were put into the Ritz-Carlton prison. Oh, that Ritz-Carlton prison for months as their monies upward, somebody said, of a tr- over a trillion dollars that were collected and the cutoff of money that was being spread around the planet, including things like the Center for Christian and Muslim Understanding in Georgetown that Walid bin Talal had funded. And that's what now many are writing about, including Jonathan Shanzer, including Tony Badran, Michael Doran, and the New York Post saying, they're rightly saying that, listen, the, the thing that Khashoggi represented was when he came to America, he started working with a lot of these princes to become sort of the anti-establishment pro-Islamist movement within the princes, within the royal family. The estranged princes working with the American Islamist establishment. And that's why on Turkish TV this week, what did you see? Nihad Awad from the Council on American Islamic Relations defending his friend who he's heartbroken for. Again, this is not to condone in any way the assassination, the attack, the torture of Jamal Khashoggi. But the reality of what he represented is very important. There is no service done in the posthumous glorification, canonization, or lionization of folks like Jamal Khashoggi. To say that somebody who is so pro-Hamas, anti-Israel, anti-American, who said things that did not strike for any reform, the Washington Post dismissed it as, oh, he was a Muslim Brotherhood guy at, at one time, but came around. I'm sorry, other than that posthumous editorial they printed, there is nothing that shows he believed in secularism, separation of mosque and state. He believed in Islamic democracy, religious democracy, which is majoritocracy. That's not a republic. This is a guy who, and that transformed. He was a hardcore Islamist Muslim Brotherhood guy prior. He even worked with friends of Bin Laden with Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. There's pictures of him. I mean, this is beforehand. He had a transformation from militant Islamist to moderate Islamist like many of the Brotherhood. But his posthumous glorification does not help liberals. Memo to the Washington Post, it does not help us or those of us who believe in Western ideals to... to to glorify and parade around an Islamist after he's assassinated by his enemies as being somebody whose values we share. 
And now you put him in a place where if we criticize and we come across as pro-Saudi, this is exactly the paradigm that I've been facing in Syria, that there is no one's family who is more anti-Assad than mine and myself. And yet, because I was not pro-brotherhood or pro Jabhat al-Nusra, all these crazy Islamist jihadist groups, I came across by some to portray me as pro-Assad. It's not just a binary equation. And some may say, well, that's how you approach Khashoggi. He's not binary. He wasn't Islam. Sure he was. Show me his writings where he talked about the end of the Islamic state concept, the Sharia state. He never wrote about those things. Watch his interviews, especially read his tweets, his Facebook posts. Watch his interviews in Arabic and you will see what his beliefs are. So before we go and read his op-eds on air and lionize him as the font of democracy, of reform of the Arab awakening, he was not the hope of the Middle East. He was, might be the hope of the Islamists in the Saudi regime to bring detente with Qatar and Turkey, the other Islamist pro-caliphate types. But he certainly wasn't the hope for freedom. He certainly wasn't the hope for Arabs across the Middle East. Coptics and other minorities, the Rafe Bedouis who should be released, who should be allowed the freedom. He was never talking in their defense. He talked about free speech, but I never got the sense that he talked about religious freedom. Except in that last op-ed, which we'll never know. If he actually wrote or his translator got massaged by a lot of the lobbyists that are working with CARE, Turkey, and others. When we come back, I'll update you on a few stories and then ask the question, is it cruel for me to criticize a hero to the Islamists who was assassinated? Is that cruel? What would they say about me when I pass, if I'm disappeared by some entity that doesn't like the work that I do on this program or elsewhere? This is Zudi Jasser and Reform This, and we'll be right back. Dr. Zudi Jasser, welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We're talking about the assassination, the brazen killing of Jamal Khashoggi by apparently by the Saudis. We're, we'll, we still have to get confirmation of this. There have been so many weird stories. I have to tell you, this whole thing has turned into sort of a clinic of how pathological the Western media is when it comes to covering the reality of what's happening in the Middle East. You saw Secretary Pompeo go out to the Middle East, and sure enough, criticism left and right on CNN, MSNBC, and ABC, and all the legacy media that, how is he smiling? How does he, what is this? His, his belly was moving, looks like he's laughing. This is an insult to American values that it looks like he's smiling upon entry. I, I, are you serious? Have you... First of all, do they have no recollection of Secretary Kerry's laughter with the genocidal Khomeini's, the, the Supreme Councils that he met with, with the Ayatollahs, with the uh, Ahmadinejads, and then the Rouhani's, and etc.? Was he stern-looking and appeared like he was pissed when he did that? I, I don't think so. He was being hospitable as they opened their homes and parliaments and torture centers for him to visit. <laughs> yeah, they, they did not let him visit that. Neither did the Saudis. 
what would they expect Pompeo to do? Spit in the face of the king and the crown prince, MBS? We all understand how the photo ops work, or at least some people do. You watch on Twitter, it's like they don't. All of a sudden, even uh, conservatives, be it Max Boot or others, are are sitting around and saying that uh, it, it was an affront that he went and smiled. Uh, are we serious? I, I visited Saudi on behalf of Yusuf, and they brought me tea, and I said, thank you, and... If you had taken a picture of me saying thank you for the tea while I told them when are they going to let Rafe Bedoui loose and I told them how their translations were lying and other things, that I had smiles on my face. It's the polite, it's the professional thing. This is a professional. Or did, or did they want Secretary Pompeo to break out and ask for the Royal Rumble of the World Wrestling Entertainment? Remember they had the Royal Rumble in Riyadh? Maybe they should have Royal Rumble 2 with Secretary Pompeo and MBS doing the wrestling in the match. That's nonsense. So, the the coverage is bizarre. The New York Times says they're going to suspend travel and any tourism to Saudi Arabia. And you had thoughtful human rights people saying, why is it? Thoughtful human rights people saying, why is it that... Uh, we do asking how is it that the Yemenis were being slaughtered by Saudi aircraft and nobody seemed to care? How is it that Rave Bedoui and, and, and thousands are in prison in Saudi Arabia? Nobody seemed to care. But now Khashoggi is gone? Well, it's because... They aren't hosting teas. They aren't hosting coffees in Washington with with movers and shakers at the Washington Post and at Amazon and elsewhere in order to curry favor. So the New York Times is going to suspend travel to Saudi Arabia, but still continue travel to Turkey, where journalists are imprisoned by the hundreds, if not thousands, to Iran and elsewhere. We've never seen them suspend travel to Iran. In fact, the Iranian foreign minister writes op-eds that he gets space to print in the New York Times. So, that's point two. Point three, the Saudis are digging their heels in. This week, the Saudi Gazette, one of the main newspapers of the state government there, said... Sharing and spreading rumors or fake news that might affect public order and security is considered a cybercrime, punishable by five years of imprisonment and three million Saudi rials. So now they're using the fake news words in Arabic, it's written, saying that anybody who spreads rumors basically they're trying to stop the rumor mill about Khashoggi and and what the the crown prince has done and others who knows but the intelligence apparatus at least was definitely involved is going to be punished in this draconian state the united states should respond to that obviously and begins to need to begin to bring a semblance of some type of transparency to what's happening, to a long relationship in which we've had no transparency. Every year, the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom tells the Saudis, tells the Saudis to stop the anti-Semitism, to let churches be built, to stop the persecution of minorities within the Sunni community, the Shia community, the Baha'i community, the, Shia, the, the all the non-Wahhabis, 
and they do nothing, and then the White House gives them a waiver, even though we recommended sanctions when I was on USERF. So they're one of the worst offenders of religious freedom, and we always they always get a waiver for national security reasons. Some of that needs to stop. And we can still work with them in an alliance versus terrorism coming from ISIS versus Iran, etc. That can still happen. So, last, last, I think it's important to talk about what do we do? How do we have a conversation in this country when people die? When their work, their legacy is discussed? What's an appropriate conversation? We'll do that next in the next segment of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Judy Jasser. Welcome to the last segment this week on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. I'm spending some time on the Kesho G affair because I think it sort of is, is a perfect storm to educate you about American Islamist movements, about royal family nonsense pathology, about dictatorships in the Middle East, about what real reform really is, about tribalism, about the left, about media. So many things to talk about. I have to, I have to take one aside here in this last segment. This week, Anjum Chowdhury was to be released from prison. Anjum Chowdhury, as you recall, is that radical preacher that basically pushed the envelope as much as he could. And then finally, the UK government put him in prison for supporting ISIS and supporting terrorism. Well, he was released at halfway through his term of his sentence, which I guess is sort of regular. I guess the sentences in the UK mean half of what they actually mean. So he's released, and now they're saying, well, but he can't communicate with Taliban. He can't travel. He can't communicate with this. He can't talk to children. No, Nobody under 18. He can't do this, this, and that. Listen, wh- why don't they just, if he leaves, tell him he can never come back? Why continue to give him welfare? Why not bar him from ever coming back and just let him leave the country if that's where he wants to go? That doesn't make any sense to me. But this is sort of the bizarre nature that we're in, is that let him enter the battlefield, become an Olaki. Remember what happened to Olaki, right? Imam Olaki radicalized so many Americans, including the Fort Hood shooter, including so many. We got him with a drone. So Chaudhry goes, decides to play with ISIS and jihad, or the Taliban, or elsewhere, becomes a war target. Doesn't make any sense. But I digress. I wanted to talk about what is an appropriate method to respect the dead, their legacy, and what they gave. Review their life. You know, I never understood what's happening with this Keshoji affair. We've got Dateline that that programs that happen every week and they discuss murders and get into the background and all that. I know it hasn't been solved yet, so but why isn't real reporting happening? The New York Times actually, to their credit, after all the 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 the, the makeover they had done, did have a story that got into his background, his family, his support of the Islamist movements, radical, militant Islamists, etc. So it talked about some of it. 
But let's talk about just in general, when people die. I think you do their life a disservice by trying to lionize them. They should be real. Read not only what they wrote, maybe right when they died. Read what they wrote 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Use it as a moment to lift up writings that nobody had seen. It may be emblematic of things you don't want to hear about that person. That may not bring him much favor, but it's realistic. So I want to ask you a question. Do you think, God forbid, but if I was to be targeted by the Turkish government, by the Qataris, by the Iranians, Muslim Brotherhood, the Assads, others, so many lists of those that we criticize regularly on this program and in my writing and in my work as we try to reform Islamist movements against dictatorships, etc., Do you think American Islamists that I've been antagonizing with are going to be singing my praises from the pulpits of American mosques? I don't think so. And I wouldn't expect them to. If they did, then that means they didn't understand my work. (laughs) Now, it may mean they're good Muslims. They're being respectful of the dead. That's fine. I would understand them not having sermons against me, cheering my death. That's different. But... I'm saying that the reality is is that at the time of someone's death is when you recognize your real feelings about them. You pray for them, you pray for their soul, but then you recognize what is the truth about the life they lived. What is their truth about the legacy? I can't stand the glorification that happens to anyone's death, be it princes or princesses or senators or whoever it may be or presidents. Give the reality, give an understanding of exactly what gifts or contributions, or liabilities they left, and then go on. But yet we see the media becoming more favorable to a description of an Islamist who was a brotherhood operative, who had worked with a disgustingly rich family in Saudi Arabia, then worked with Saudi intelligence, and on and on. Yes, he may have tried to work for some papers with the Saudis and work for change, but that doesn't make him into a saint of democracy. That doesn't make any sense. I would hope that if something happened to me, the Islamists in America would recognize that I was a formidable foe, that I was somebody who wanted to expose their ideas, that when they went to sleep at night, they were worried about what I was going to say the next day that they would have to deal with. So, to me, that is the reality of what a legacy discussion should be about, is what imprint did that person have on your life? Did he have an imprint, this guy, on democracy and liberalization? And did he, if you look at his writings and the medias that he worked for to start, did he lift up reform voices against Islamism, against Sharia states, against Wahhabism, and the theology that underpins that underpins the radicalization of Muslims across the planet? I don't think so. In fact, he epitomized some of the verbiage, even until 15 and 16, that was anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, and basically towed the line of Hamas. This is not a reformer, ladies and gentlemen. And again, if something ever happened to me, I would want people to say, well, the Islamists may say he wasn't a reformer because secularism is not reform, it's anti-Islam, because etc., etc., 
because they reject American religious liberty, because they believe in an Islamic state. That's fine. That's all fair. To, for them to say the same arguments they said after my death before, that would make sense. That's respectable. But the Washington Post and others tell me that it is despicable to be critical of the ideas they think we are rewriting Khashoggi's memory when in fact we're simply articulating what he said. And that's respectful of somebody is to respect their ideas and say the same thing after they die as you did before. Now I paid little attention to him before he died. He wasn't even operating in the same sphere or influence because he didn't care about secular liberals or true Muslim reform against Wahhabism, against Islamism. So when you talk to people, as other Muslim reformers I've heard say recently, about Khashoggi, ask him, what's your feeling about the Brotherhood, about Qatar, about Turkey? You'll see probably a convergence in that lobby. Ask them about Israel. So yes, people's legacy matters. What you say matters. But please, for the love of God, if anything ever happens to me, I hope you say the same thing after I die that you said before. Otherwise, you are a dishonest hypocrite. And you are trying to be something for the dead, for the family, whatever it might be, that you were not when that person was alive, when it mattered. So, if you respect human rights and what the Saudis should do, you will demand that we stop helping them in Yemen, that we demand the release of prisoners that they have in their prisons if they are ever going to make recompense for the murder of a columnist. That's the least we can do. Those are American values. And then we hold them accountable and we begin to continue the relationship that is rebalancing the disaster that Obama left in the Middle East. God bless you all. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll talk to you next week. Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.